Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Glover's Talk, Somerset Live's weekly podcast discussing all things Yeovil Town Football Club. This is a very special episode. I'm your host, Liam Trim, and joining me this week is a bumper cast. I've got Stephen Dalbiak, Somerset Live sport reporter. Hi, Liam. Mike Taylor from Somerset Live as well. Hello. Myself, of course, and freelance sports journalist Tom Seymour. Hello. And a founding member and former chairman of the Glover's Trust, Brendan Owen. Hello, Brendan. Hello, Liam. And thank you for coming in to speak to us. So thank obviously, you for we're inviting be, me. That's all right. We're going to be building up to the big fixture on Friday, January 26th. We're recording this on the 24th of January, ahead of that match with Manchester United at Hewish Park, of course. Don't forget that if you like the podcast, you, sub- you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Audio Boom. And go to somersetlive.co.uk forward slash sport for all of Stephen's latest coverage on Yeovil Town and all things about Manchester United as a moment, a moment as well, because obviously it's all relevant at the moment. Right, so we'll start by talking about the game then. Only two days to go. What does this mean for Yeovil, Stephen? You know, it's, it's a difficult question, I guess, because it, it could be a very fleeting moment of fun or it could have lasting good news in terms of finances for the club. I think the best way to look at this game, and particularly in the short term going up to it, is that this is an opportunity that doesn't come around very often for a team of Yeovil's um, position in League Two at the moment to have the chance to play Manchester United, one of the most famous names in football. You know, it is something which I think fans should get behind and should enjoy. However, of course, there is the aspect that this isn't the be all and end all. This is a really good occasion. You know, it's an opportunity to really, you know, give everybody around the club a lift. But Ultimately, what's going to matter is what happens after that game and whether the buzz and the anticipation leading up into this game can filter through into the league fixtures after it because Yeovil do have a big fight on their hands to stay in League 2 this season. I don't think anybody um, can deny that based on where they are in the league. But I think to go back to the game, it's you know, it's a really exciting moment for the club. You know How often do the likes of Jose Mourinho or Paul Pogba or now Alexis Sanchez you know, come down to, to teams of Yeovil size and stature and um, and go up against them. So, you know, it's something which um, we can all look forward to. And hopefully on the night with tickets now sold out, it's going to be a great atmosphere there as well. Yeah, and just to remind listeners, you're right to point out the league position. Yeovil currently 21st in League 2. That's just two points above uh, the two relegation places. Forest Green Rovers obviously have spent a bit of money in January as well, haven't they? And uh, they're, they're in 23rd and... Yeah, they've won their last match as well, so a bit worrying for the Glovers. Brendan, what what do you think the mood is with supporters ahead of Manchester United? Obviously excitement, but I guess, like Stephen's been saying, worried about the league afterwards as well. I think the overall fans are excited. Um, we have such a tradition in the FA Cup. Yeah. Giant killers in the old days. Sunderland in the fourth round, Manchester United in the fifth. So here we are again, Manchester United. But... <laughs> uh, times have changed since we last met them, I think. Yeah. Uh, they're much stronger, we're much weaker. Um, it could be painful on the night, really. Um, but on the other hand, is, is all this Manchester United stuff just a distraction mm. from the important thing, which of course is keeping our league status? As you said, two points above relegation. We are flirting with death here mm-hmm. <laughs> because if we were to go down, it's going to be a job to get back up again. There's many strong teams in the conference. We might not be one of them. Absolutely, and, and Tom, uh, I was talking to someone earlier who, shall we say, I mean, this fixture is the sort of fixture where people who don't normally follow football, you end up talking to them about it. And I was trying to explain why it would be a big deal, if because if, they were like, well, they'll get loads of money from this match, they'll be fine. But I said, but if they went down, that still really wouldn't be that, that helpful in the long run for you. Would it just, just try and sum that up for the Labour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's some quite stark contrast with three years ago when they played Manchester United. I think, you know, you'd say at the time then, 
that maybe too much focus was put on that game and the, the eye was taken off the league and they ended up getting relegated that season. At the time, it was going from League One down to League Two, um, you know, which is bad and it was poor in the context of the fact that 12 months ago prior they'd been in the Championship, but the drop from League One to League Two is, won't be felt as hard as the drop from League Two into the National League. Yeah. Um, as Brendan says, you know the National League's getting stronger. There's so many good teams. There, Leighton Orient are in there now, and no one thought the size of you know a team the size of Leighton Orient would end up in the National League. And it's tough to get out. You've got mm. one go up, going up automatically, one coming through the playoffs. So, dropping into the National League would be disastrous for the club. And you do hope that while this game is huge, and while they've got to make the most of it and make as much money as they can from it, and enjoy the occasion with Manchester United coming to visit Hewish Park. They have to make sure that it doesn't distract from the league and it doesn't mean that as a result they end up going down. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Stephen, to come back to you, uh, you and I were both at the press day at Hewish Park and also down at the, the training ground yesterday where obviously you can see how, uh, you know, Darren was clearly very excited about the match. You can see how people at the club would be seduced by There were so many camera crews there. There were, there were publications that wouldn't normally be there. MUTV were there, Manchester United's in-house TV station. Mm. Do you think that, that Darren Way is, is is being sensible enough in that you know he's trying to get his place to enjoy this occasion and, and give Manchester United a good go, but also he, he is being sensible and keeping his eye on the league as well? I think he was saying all the right things in the, particularly in the aftermath of the draw. But I think he, he said before the Port Vale game, you know, that we're not talking about Manchester United, we have to focus on these two league games. And I think the Port Vale game actually, you know, was a very good performance. They were very unlucky not to win that one. I was a little bit more concerned by the performance on Saturday against Chesterfield. I think there may have been a sense, particularly in the first sort of hour or so of that game, that the performance wasn't quite there. Were minds sort of wandering towards that game? Um, I think that there's obviously huge excitement among, among the players and among the management going into this game. But you can't look at this as the be all and end all. You know, this is a really good opportunity to showcase yourself, to show how good you potentially can be. But this is the sort of game that you need to to enjoy, but also use as a springboard and use that lift to really um, focus on the league after it. And uh, like Tom and like Brendan have said, you know, the consequences of Yeovil dropping into the National League and um, sort of back into non-league could be disastrous. And we've seen plenty of teams in the years sort of go down and not come back. I think the likes of Hereford, the likes of um, Boston did it. I think... um, all the shot as well have, have yeah, gone down. Yeah, I mean, there are so yeah. many clubs that are not too dissimilar in terms of history and size to Yeovil who have gone down out of League Two into the conference and not come back. And that's something which would be a you know a huge concern if Yeovil were to be relegated at the end of the season. And I think that you know for all of the you know short term hype and short term buzz around the game, and there is that, and that's natural, and it should be enjoyed. But the league is the most important thing. The club are taking a risk, I think, and um, also in how seriously they've taken the Checker Trade Trophy because, yes, the prize money that they get from that is good. And if at the end of the season, Yeovil will finish maybe you know, 18th, 19th in the league, they've got to Wembley in the Checker Trade. They've had a game against Manchester United. Then, you know, from a football point of view, you could maybe argue that it's not been a bad season. But if you get to Wembley in the Checker Trade, get a game against Manchester United and go down, then all fans are going to care about is the fact they've been relegated and not either of the cup runs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and Mike, you're relatively new to following Yeovil as a football club. Mm. You went to a match earlier this season. Coming back to what the atmosphere will be like mm. this Friday at Hewish Park, how do you think it will feel different to when you went? It will feel massively time? different. I mean, bear in mind, I went to midweek game against uh, Notts County in December. That was a very much game where I think there wasn't many people there, and there was not really an atmosphere to the extent that you know the only time 
fans were cheering was when it was a dubious decision or a goal or a, a possible chance. And um, But I think this game against United, I think you will see 90 minutes of noise and it will mm. just be fans chanting um, and it will be a great atmosphere. And I think United fans will bring a lot of noise as well. Um, and it will be of quite a lively, quite an electric atmosphere, really. And I think that's the sort of atmosphere I think that's... Hopefully, Yovertown can thrive on, really. Um, maybe it can maybe unsettle United, who knows? And maybe you know, we're just praying that the crowd's on their side so that it sort of acts as a 12th man, just say yeah. a cliche. But, uh, yeah. uh, and we should say, just before we start recording this, uh, it, it, it has all the tickets have gone. They've all sold out. That Brendan, have you been happy with the way the club has sort of handled the ticket process in, in terms of rewarding loyal fans? Yes, yeah. basically. Um, I think they've done it right with the categories. Um, <laughs> for my own personal, uh, I've been a season ticket holder for well, well 30 odd years. Yeah. Uh, this year I decided I wouldn't be a season ticket holder, and of course, Sod's Law, <laughs> Manchester United, come up. So <laughs> I was thinking, how am I going to get a ticket? And then, of course, they, they offered the bundles yeah. six, mm. six tickets, and you get a Manchester United ticket. So my wife and I got a bundle each, and there I was at the head of the queue. Um, on the first day, so whether that was completely fair, I'm not sure. To be honest, <laughs> well, that, I, but... I think that's actually lovely to hear. That you, yeah. you were a loyal fan, but although you hadn't opted for the season ticket, this and I've foolishly still... thrown away quite a few of my uh, stubs yeah. as no, I've gone through the season. I know, I know, <laughs> but you find Nobody them in a pocket a week later. <laughs> I don't really want that in the bin. It goes. <laughs> All right, well, we mentioned that press day where obviously the club was kind of building up to this huge fixture. Um, I think we're able to play. <clears throat> a clip from an interview with Jake Gray, who was one of the, the players who was uh, available at that press day. I think, you know, not only for us, but for the whole, like the boardrooms and everything, it's uh, going to bring in great financial boost for them. Uh, on a personal note, it would just be amazing to get to that, knowing you've beaten that kind of statue of club, um, possibly even getting, to, uh, getting a replay and playing at Old Trafford. I mean, it's massive and it's a, it's a big uh, driving force for us to uh, really aim towards. Of course, you guys are saying that this game will be the highlight of your career so far. What's your sort of the most exciting aspect of this game? Do you think for you personally? Uh, I think you know, playing the stature of players that we will do. Uh, you play with them on FIFA, you think, oh, they're amazing, and now you're actually coming up against them. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's a brilliant challenge for us, and uh, I'm sure we're going to put in a good performance and uh, give a good account of ourselves. Of course, different competition, but last season you were part of the uh, Luton team that knocked um, Aston Villa out of the League Cup and you scored in that game as well. So you have experience as a player of causing an upset against a fancied opponent. Is that something you've been drawing on in the build-up to this game and sort of looking back at? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, a few people have said that to me um, and that, that night was unbelievable. Uh, that was like my debut for my starting first game I started for Luton and that was an unbelievable night for the club. Um, so definitely I can look back at that and think, yeah, we can do it. I know United is a much bigger task than Aston Villa, but anything can happen in this competition. It's really special. And you, you've mentioned briefly about your time at Crystal Palace um, as a youngster there. Have you had a chance to speak to anybody or any of the players that you knew or who you trained with then and um, get to get any advice about this game? Uh, unfortunately, I don't speak to them anymore. They're a bit big time for me. Um, no, I haven't had any uh, opportunity to uh, speak to any of them, but... Uh, Looking back, I can use that uh, experience I had and uh, know what they're like. Cause, you know, they're in the same league and uh, massive, massive athletes and elite professionals. So, yeah, I could look back at that and use that. 
course, as you say, obviously the name is Manchester United. You know the players; they're all household names. They're players that you know. But of course, for you, once you get out onto the pitch, they're just eleven other players. You know who they are doesn't really come into the just about making sure you get the best result you can on the night. Yeah, I think you know watching that game, um, watching that game on the well, it was three years ago now. Uh, it's really helped because. You could take in the. It's important we take in the atmosphere as quick as we can, um, and don't get drawn up about it. Play, you know, the old cliche is play the game, not the atmosphere. And you just got to. Um, we just got to settle into the game as quick as we can. Get the fast five ten minutes over, and uh, hopefully we're still in the game. And then the longer we keep in the game, the better it will be for us. And obviously, uh, one of the players who was meant to be at that press day talking about his boyhood links to Manchester United was Otis Khan. We'll come on to talk about that now um, and that situation. Obviously, he got sent off in that league fixture at the weekend, uh, probably for being very silly indeed. We'll, we'll get all your views in a moment. Yeovil then appealed the decision, and that appeal was perhaps unsurprisingly unsuccessful, and, it, and it's a five-match ban for Otis Khan. It was very interesting to hear at the press day, one of the first things Downway said was that Khan currently has his hand strapped up because he punched a door in frustration after after that uh, match. Mm. So, so Tom, what was your take on on him barging the referee? And well, first of all, I would like to say is just perhaps the most frustrating thing as a football fan is when a, when a footballer doesn't play to the whistle, isn't when he when he stops there and appeals for a decision. You, you, you're just livid, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And particularly in a game of such importance, they're playing Chesterfield, who are just below them in the league. They still are. It's narrowed to a point now. Once they'd levelled up in the game after 80 minutes, it only looked like Yeovil Town would go on to win the game. Mm. They were pushing forward. Otis Khan had his shirt pulled on the edge of the area. Everyone in the press box was, you know, we thought it was a clear foul. But as you say, you know, it's another cliche, but you play to the whistle. You completely stopped playing, allowing Chesterfield to break. Yeovil had pushed everyone forward and they scored a 93rd minute winner. So from that point of view, it was a disaster because they've allowed a team below them to make three points up on Mm. on them in a game that they really should have won. And then to chase, run 60, 70 yards down the pitch and trip, barge, depends whose opinion you believe, yeah. <laughs> knock the referee, um, all you're going to get is a red card for that. And now he's missing this game. Um, and he can only really have himself to blame, unfortunately. Yeah. And mm. Stephen, sum up the kind of national interest in this, because obviously it's a, it's a huge game, but the, I guess the, it, it's all the elements of a good story. He, he was once at Manchester United as a, as a youth player, I think. And then, and then yeah, he's, he's, we should say that for the record, Khan has said afterwards on social media that it was, it was an accident. He didn't mean to barge into the referee. But, you know, uh, whether we all believe that apology or not, it did seem like a rather desperate plea for please let me play against Manchester United. But you just don't understand why he's done it when he, he must know that game is looming at the end of the week. Yeah, I think I think my initial reaction when I, I sort of saw the incident and um, when, it, when it happened, it was like, it was like did that just happen? It was, it was almost like a sense of disbelief that, that he would do that, knowing the importance of that game and what it meant to him personally coming up on Friday. I can't believe that somebody could lose control to the extent that he ran more than 50 yards to remonstrate the referee. And it doesn't matter whether it was an accident or not. If you make contact with an official having run half the length of a pitch to remonstrate with him, you're going to get a red card. It doesn't matter if he's tripped and fallen into him as he claims he did. It just doesn't work like that. If you make any contact with an official in that situation, it's a red card. And I do have an element of sympathy for him and that that game obviously meant a lot to him. And he's obviously going to be devastated not to be playing in it but at the same time he had every opportunity to control his emotions he must have had a good 20 seconds between his shirt being pulled and him running over to the referee where he could have 
like kept a lid on his emotions and just mm. you know decided not to do what he did and unfortunately if you make a mistake like that you have to pay the consequences for it and again yeah get to go to go on to the national interest in it i mean i was um so i mean i think tom you were there too um in an interview with you know two or three national journalists you know spent a good half an hour speaking to him talking about his, his background how he'd um how he'd you know gone up through the Manchester United youth ranks, you know how he'd rebuilt his career after leaving Manchester United, and just what the game meant to him on a personal level. The fact he had um, you know a lot of his friends and family coming down for the game, and um, unfortunately he's he's cost himself that dream. And um, yes, okay, if a referee you know gives the decision like he should have done, looking back at it, then you could say yes, that doesn't happen. But again, in that situation, you've got to one, play to the whistle and two, make sure that if you are unhappy with a decision, that you go about you know complaining about it in the right way. And the way that he did that was probably the worst possible mm. thing he could have done to to show his frustration at the decision not going his way. Yeah, mm. pretty strong words there from Stephen Brendan. Did, did you have a similar view? Have you seen the incident? Yeah. Yes, uh, disappointed on several levels really as an ordinary fan um, I was sat directly behind the shirt pull it was a shirt pull there's no, no yeah. doubt about that yeah. but it was nothing um, Otis Khan had the ball in his feet he had the momentum going forward Yeovil were attacking there were players ahead of him yeah. who knows if he hadn't stopped dead and gone on yeah, that's we might have scored that goal he's, uh, he, he, he felt his shirt get pulled and I think he stopped this is my personal but I think he stopped because he thought the referee see it give him a free kick Great chance of getting a goal yes. there. Yeah, yeah. And I think, in all fairness, I if I had my shirt board, I would have just pressed on, look for the pass, try to draw, try try to draw a bit, yeah, and from yeah. And it's just, and obviously going back to you. I mean, um, sorry, I interrupted you. Let's carry No, sorry, but I was going to say. I mean, um, it was. I don't think Moses should have stopped. He should just kept going and just ignored it. The, the way he basically, I think his apology was a bit. I can see why he's apologised, but I don't. I don't agree with the what he said, mm. and I think that the way he sort of said such thing, what happened, his version of events is very much like very tenuous. Yeah, well, it's a good point, Mike, because yeah. it, it doesn't look like a level of contact that, that, that should no. have stopped him playing. Well, it? no, so no, it's, 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 he's made a conscious decision to. I, stop. I believe that yeah. when he came out on that pitch that afternoon, he was playing for Otis Khan. He was mm. going to show how good he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, trying to influence course, yeah. perhaps the transfer or whatever so and with United he had United. Ronaldo's head on I think he was flashing about all over the pitch no yeah. end product but he was he was here there and everywhere yeah. mm. and when his shirt was pulled Ronaldo would have gone straight up and the referee yeah. would have gone foul yeah. Yeah. so Otis Khan yeah. thought I can do that I'm premiership quality <laughs> but no the referee yeah. missed that and the, we know what happened uh, I, <laughs> a very foolish Foolish decision. Yeah. Very, it, what it, what I find so on. frustrating about the fact that he stopped is that in that return fixture at Chesterfield up there in September, he was fouled in an almost identical Absolutely. position. It was a clear foul, and on that occasion, he you know he brushed off he the foul. It off, he, he he got back he got back on his feet, or he you know got back unbalanced. He then cut inside, and he put an he put an unbelievable shot into the top corner, yeah. and it was almost that. An identical position on the pitch at Hewish Park on Saturday, and it's like it's the clear difference. You know, on that occasion he kept on going and he got his reward for it. On on Saturday, you know, he could have made that same decision. He could have kept going. He could have tried mm. to push forward, and he stopped. And um, he paid the price for that. He had yeah. a different mindset on Saturday. I'm sure yeah. of it. And mm. um, disappointed also as a fan uh, with his apology. Yeah. yeah. No direct apology to the fans yes. for his behaviour mm. for losing us the game. Possibly relegating us. 
All it was is, oh, I'm a boyhood fan of Manchester yeah. United, please referee, don't ban me. That, yeah. that, that was the gist of the apology. Yeah, I didn't really want to brush on that, but I, so that's a very interesting uh, comment you said, though, because I've got a statement in front of me. It's very much, I'm very sorry for what I've done. It's not apologies of fans, not apologies of Darren Way. It's probably done that internally to Darren and the club to apologise, but I think maybe a, a public showing of uh, sympathy and, uh, and an apology would have, would have um, rightly would have helped your case. And I know certain in the comments as well, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of the comments, some of them were very sympathetic to his original tweet, but a lot of them were just like, yeah, but you haven't apologised to the fans. And yeah. I think that's as what you've said there. Um, just sums up really. It's just Tom, a bit frustrating. Yeah. The, the, I guess moving it on, um, what could this be his last game for you? Well, given that you know, the ban has now ruled him out of the Man United game, we thought that might be his last game for you anyway because there's a lot of transfer interest in him. Yeah, there is. There's, a, there's this release clause that was written into his contract that he signed last summer You know, in order to stay at the club. Um, he wanted that release clause. He got it. He's had a brilliant season so far uh, up until Saturday. Um, and as a result, there's a lot of interest in him. You know, Darren Way has admitted that. He's admitted that at least one bid has come in and activated that release clause. Um, when I spoke to uh, Otis when Stephen was talking about the press day, um, he said there categorically that he would be playing in the Manchester United game, obviously taking into account what's happened since, but yeah. meaning that he wouldn't be leaving before then. So I guess any club he'd spoken to, he'd say his agent or his representative said to them, look, he needs to play in this game. There's still five days left for the transfer window yeah. after that. He can move after that. Be interested to see what happens now. He's been given a five-game ban that makes him a less attractive prospect because he's going to miss the first five games for mm. whichever club he joins. Mm. Um, at the same time, you know he's still a he still is a very talented player, probably too good for League Two. Um, mm. And it will be interesting to see uh, what happens now in terms of his future and where he goes. The other thing is Darren Way will assumedly be frantically looking or, or looking certainly for a replacement for him on the left side of, of midfield. Yeah, and just briefly yeah. from you, Brennan, did you appreciate his contribution so far this season until he's let himself down in recent days, or is it a side of him that you've always sort of thought, oh, he's a bit out for himself? Top goal scorer, so the facts speak for themselves. Uh, ten goals, I think. Um, mm. Some of them really nice goals. But I, I as a, on a personal basis, I, I just felt he was a bit too keep it keep the ball to myself, yeah. run into trouble too, enough, too, too often and not pass the ball at the right point. But... Yeah, you and can't Stephen, argue with the goals. Yeah, <laughs> and Stephen, I know you know uh, you've you've done pieces on which clubs might be in for him, and I guess the signing of someone like Lewis Wing might already be looking to fill the void left by him. Or? Yeah, from what I understand, I spoke to a former colleague of mine who now covers Middlesbrough um, after Lewis Wing signed, and he said that he can play anywhere, you know, in midfield behind the striker. So it would lead you to think that he could play on that left-hand side. He's not been deployed on the left-hand side since he joined the Oval. But if that's somewhere where he can play, then I'm, I'm certain that he was signed. And it did seem that, you know, as an attacking midfielder, when he did sign, it sort of made me think that, hang on, is that something they're, they're doing in preparation in case Otis Khan leaves? Mm. And um, I, I've been really impressed with Lewis Wing. He hasn't had that many minutes on the pitch but what he has done you know he's shown a willingness to shoot and Yeovil haven't had a player who's been willing to do that for, for quite a while and the goal that he scored on Saturday was a superb finish it's one of the best finishes I've seen in a long long time mm, a by Yeovil player. player so I think he's got a lot of potential he's got a lot to offer do and, we think um, he'll feature against United? I think he's done his um, his he's made his case very well to get a start I think if he came on he was very impressive not only did he score that goal but he also um, I think it was straight after he scored, he set um, Khan free down the left-hand side and um, created a really good chance there. So I think 
there is obviously going to be a change. He's going to have to be a change to replace Otis Khan, and I don't think he's done his um, his case any um, any harm at all to make that. It will be interesting to see whether Darren will pick him and just how attacking a lineup he's going to want to put out. Mm. Because obviously, at the moment, as things stand, assuming that the majority of the team that played against Chesterfield starts against Manchester United, whether um, he'd be happy to go with you know two attacking-minded players on the wings, and I wouldn't be surprised maybe if Connor Smith comes in and Jake Gray moves out to the right-hand side just to create a bit more balance because I think Jordan Green, you know, a player of his stature could, and particularly with his pace, he could cause a lot of problems. But again, he, he's the sort of player that if he gets into a physical battle, he can be quite easily outmuscled. And whether the, um, Darren will want to just, you know, keep things tight and try and, um, you know, make sure they're not, you know, out muscle because not only Manchester United a good team but they are a physical side as well you know Mourinho's always had a you know his teams have always had a physical element to them whether he'll want that in there but I think that you know certainly either Lewis Wing or um, Connor Smith I, I would back one of them to start I know Reese Brown is um, fit again but I think that this game probably comes a little bit too soon for him in terms of starting but you know Brown's certainly an option they could um, add to the bench later on to, cut, to come off and make an impact um, in the closing stages if they need them to all right, well, we'll probably come back to the, the possible lineups in that FA Cup tie before the end of the podcast. But for now, we'll move on to our regular weekly quiz. Yeah. This, this week is a bump, Hold on, what's this? It's a, it's a yeah. bumper 10 questions I've upped it this week oh, for the visit of our special guests. Uh, normally, it's, it's Steve versus Mike. Right. Normally Stephen wins, but Mike has. Got, <laughs> I've had a resurgence. I think Mike's had two wins now. Haven't you? Is that right? Yeah. One of one of them involved a question on Emma Dale, which Mike got right. Uh, so, so Stephen tends is this to win. A general knowledge quiz. Is no, that... no. <laughs> there was, there's always a Yeovil link. Okay, good. It just good. so happened that I managed to find an Emmerdale link to tailor to, to Mike's strengths. <laughs> <laughs> this week it's sort of a Yeovil FA Cup Manchester United bumper quiz. Okay, all right. right. So just there's no particular system. You just whoever shouts at me first with the answer, I will. Oh, I will good. Okay. The point. Okay. I've got any buzzers, unfortunately. The first question is. <laughs> When Yeovil Town beat Sunderland in 1949 in the FA Cup fourth round, what was the score? 2-1. Two, 2-0. One. One. Wow, Stephen was in. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan, I was hoping you were going to be in on that. Assumingly, Stephen's been doing his history of Yeovil Town in the FA Cup yeah, pieces, though, recently. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research. <laughs> They've both got Google in front of them as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's have no, no Googling. No, I want Not that I'm competitive. Hands away from the keyboard. Right. <laughs> so, obviously, Jose Mourinho is bringing his Manchester United team to Hewish Park on Friday. How many times... Did he win the FA Cup with Chelsea? Oh, once. once. Stephen yeah. is yeah. on fire. For goodness sake. <laughs> We're struggling there, Tom, Brendan. Tom, yeah. you're letting yourself down. Oh, Tom, we're we're to okay. okay. I only know the Gary Johnson here. <laughs> <laughs> right, who scored the winning goal in extra time when Jose Mourinho won the FA Cup? Did you oh. drop it? Yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well done, Tom Seymour. The excitement on his face, listeners. I wish you could see it. Oh, so yeah, that's the first FA Cup at Wembley, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right, oh. in 2004. Yeovil released the song Yeovil True after drawing Liverpool in the FA Cup. Where did the song end up in the 36? Oh, 37. That is incredible knowledge of Tom Seymour. Yes. What the? How does he know that? How does he know I that? I may have been on uh, Yeovil Town's FA Cup Wikipedia <laughs> recently. <laughs> it is and I bought all the copies. <laughs> <laughs> he still listens to it now. I do, I do. <laughs> but can you get on Spotify? Let's see, let's oh my goodness. I really was, I was going to take a closest answer on that one and you were straight in with the correct, well done Tom Seymour. Right, okay. Which supermarket now stands on Yeovil's former? Tesco's. Oh, oh. Oh, Stephen was in there again. 
In the right, here's here's a, I think this is the right era you just mentioned, Brown. Right? I'm just tailoring this one out. In the 2010-2011 season, who was Yeovil's top scorer? Dean Bowditch. Oh, he's done it again! Wow. <laughs> Stephen is flying. I was always torn between him and Andy Williams. This right? one is tailored for Mike Taylor. Yay! Which manager has won the most FA Cups? Arsene Wenger. Well done. Yay! <laughs> Got a point. I'm moving on. Which FA Cup winning club beat Bournemouth in the last round? Oh, Wigan. I'm going to take Tom Seymour on that what? one. What? Basically the same time. <laughs> it gives a point each. If yep. you can say he scored the goal for Wigan in the, in the final, I'll give it to him. Oh. I'm uh, <laughs> not I'm not. I'm just oh, taking yeah, it right, I'm it is, taking yeah. over there right, as also, well. Also on the FA Cup third round, who did Newport County knock out? Leeds. Oh. Wow. Stephen is flying. He is flying. But there's still a silver medal on, on offer. Well, actually, no, there isn't. That's already been won. Bronze. Bronze could be won. Is there a putty one? <laughs> Final question. How much is a match day programme at Yeovil? Oh, to the three quid? Seymour's right. Oh. Oh, so. How did I not know that? I, I, I bought one. Did you pay £5 for one? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think I, just, I think I just, on the trigger, on the fly, just went, oh, £5. Oh, that is the end of the quiz. I hope you've got oh, some if oh, you're listening yeah. at home, but I'll, I'll just run through the score. Sadly, Brendan, you, you didn't get it. Yeah, well, my buzzer was faulty. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I blame the buzzer as Dreadful. well. Tom Seymour, you got four. Respectable yeah, show, isn't that. it? And Stephen Dalbiak, you got five. So there's a narrow win in the end. And Mike, you got one. Yes. Which is about <laughs> Arsenal. Yeah. Who you support. Okay, moving on. Let's get back to Yeovil Town Matters. Truly Yeovil Town Matters. And I'm going to come to you first, Brennan, because this will be an area of your expertise. John Fry, here we go. It, Stephen has done two different articles this week on him, and he said that there's been no decline at the club. I, I can already see your face sort of colouring. <laughs> he says there's been no decline at Yeovil Town, and that it's a continued success that they are in the football league. And I wouldn't, in a way, I sort of, I can remember when they were an non-league club, but I think so argue there's not been a decline. Smacks me as, as maybe a bit ignorant or or maybe just you're trying to put a rose-coloured tint on things. What, what do you think, Brennan? As you can see, I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I shouldn't be speechless, really, because I, I, you've come to expect these strange statements from John Fry yeah. over the years. Over and over again, he trots out the same old rubbish. Uh, there has been a decline. We all know that. You've only got to look at the empty seats and the empty terracing to see there is a decline. Um, if he wants to delude himself, and Hayward wants to delude himself, then carry on. But for the ordinary fan, that is a very poor statement to make. It shows yeah. no uh, understanding of the situation that we're in. It shows no ambition. It shows total stagnation at Yeovil Town. And once again, I'm just, well, Yeah, and totally from the fans' point of view, what sort of concrete actions would fans like to see him take to kind of redress the balance, I guess? To be honest, there's only one concrete action that I'd like to see Haywood and Fry take, and that is to leave our club. They've been there for donkey's years now. We haven't moved on since non-league days off the pitch. On the pitch, thanks to Gary Johnson, we move forward, but now we're regressing swiftly uh, they've got to go um, most fans want them to go um, thank you very much for the job you've done take your pension go and would it be you'd want to see the club remain owned locally presumably you don't want a sort Absolutely. of foreign owner scenario the which... ethos of the Glover's Trust is that community facilities and assets like a football club should be owned by the community 
I, I do not believe, and I don't believe that supporters trust believe, that single owners, or in this case two owners, is the right way forward for mm. small clubs like ours. The Premiership has gone. They're a lost cause. <laughs> but if we could rescue those clubs in League Two and make sure that the communities have a big say in how those football clubs are run, then that would be brilliant. And at the moment, we have no say at all. It's, it's two men, well into their 70s, knocking on 80s, who are coming up with a seven-year plan. Uh, I think they can take us forward. I'm sorry, they can't. And Stephen, what sort of sense did you get from these interviews that you've done with, with Mr Fry? Look, I think you can't, you can't deny. You know, if you go from a championship... Um, to struggling to stay in the Football League in the space of four years, which is now. And actually, you could make the argument that that was in the space of two years because they nearly went down the year after they went back into League Two. There is something wrong. I, I think Surely a for, rapid decline, not just a decline. Yeah, it has been a rapid decline. I think the biggest problem, and I think all the problems now stem back to that first year after the club was relegated into League One. And I don't know if the club really had a... A, the right sort of contingency plan in place to for what they would do once they got relegated from the championship. And I think that in hindsight, you know, it was a very misguided thing to do because I don't think anybody expected that the stay in the championship was going to be a, a long-term thing. I think most fans would have bitten your hand off to have stayed up for first year. And um, they, they needed to have that sort of planning put in place. And I think there were several key errors made when the club came down. And I think from a playing side, I think the worst thing the club ever did was release Jamie McAllister when the club went down from the championship. And that, because then the team on the pitch lost all of its on-field leadership, which then contributed massively to them going back down. And then ever since the club's gone back into League Two, it's almost like things have gone into a downward spiral. You know, it's fans are unhappy. You know, you can tell everybody sort of around the club, you know, around the town, you know, interest in the club has waned. And, um, you're really in this situation now where, you know, it, if it does feel like something needs to change just to get, you know, get some kind of, you know, enthusiasm back among what not only the hardcore fans, because a lot of fans are now not going to games, but just to get general interest in the club from around the town as well. And um, there were, of course, rumours before Christmas that, um, that broke that there is a consortium and um, that we, we can we can safely say there is a consortium in existence that is interested in buying the club. But, of course, the draw with Manchester United and the FA Cup is sort of put that on the back burner for now because if you're in charge of a club and you see an, you know as much as half a million pounds in windfall coming in, you're not going to sell the club now and let somebody else reap the benefits of that. You're going to stay stay put. But, um, unfortunately, I think you know things have just stagnated, as Brendan said, and it's just they're stuck in a rut. And I think that they're... There doesn't seem to be, you know, a great amount of um, what I would say, you know, a direction from from inside the boardroom as to what they can do to get themselves moving again. Because yeah. I think the, the hardest thing to do, I think, is to, and I think there are changes being made in the background now. And I think certainly since Mark Palmer has come in, I think there are a lot of changes that he is trying to, you know, get across and trying to implement that will you know, in the long term have a good effect. But the problem is that if the club gets relegated this season, then all of that will count for nothing because I think all of the long-term plans that he, you know, has in mind are fully dependent on the club retaining its football league status. And as we all know at the moment, that is by no means guaranteed because when you're two points above the drop zone and Yeovil's running on paper is much more difficult than any of the teams around them because they've got to go to Notts County and Lincoln in their final two away games. They've got Mansfield and Luton, I think, in April as well. So 
this is really the stage of the season where you will need to be kicking up the table and getting as far clear of that bottom two as they can. And um, I think, unfortunately, you know, things just haven't moved on and they're in real danger of slipping out of the league. And there doesn't seem to be an awful lot at board level being done to, you know, urgently to try and rectify that. All right, well, we've heard from two unhappy fans there. Tom, you're a bit more objective. You're not a sort of lifelong Yeovil Town fan. Do you think John Friday has any credit at all for, for what he's been doing in recent years at Yeovil? And if there is a windfall to be had from the Man United game, would you trust him to give it to Down Wade to actually improve the, the playing squad? Well, he says he's going to do that. Um, and I suppose we have to take him on his word at that. Um, he says that, you know, Darren will, be, will have the income to invest into his squad. I think a positive thing that we've seen is players like Jordan Green and Tom James, you know, young players who have done well this season, who could potentially be worth money, like we've seen Votis Khan, um, being given longer-term contracts. I think that's been a problem over the last few years. There's been a lot of short-termism and giving players one-year contracts. Lots of loan players. Lots of loan players. There's never any structure. Um, Majority of the squad leaves in the summer and a huge amount of new players come in. You can't, it's difficult to build anything in that scenario. Um, and I think the approach of bringing in young players who have maybe been released, you know, like Tom James was released by Cardiff, um, bringing them in and, and trying to develop them and make them worth some money. Because to be brutally honest, at, at this sort of level, that's how you can make money. We've seen it with Exeter City, you know, selling Ollie Watkins and before that, Matt Grimes um, for, you know, players they've developed at the club and they've sold to championship and Premier League clubs for money and that is a good approach to have um, uh, but you, I completely understand the fans frustrations at the same time uh, it, you know, it, it has been a decline um, if you look purely at results on the pitch it's been a decline um, as I said from the championship season to now and the away attendances are falling um, and something needs to be addressed uh, Stephen says this, this consortium's here. There is a consortium. A lot has changed since that broke. The news broke that the consortium were interested. The draw being one of them, um, and I still think that the John Fry and Norman Haywood are hopeful that they can develop the land around the club. It's been an mm. ongoing issue. I'm sure people roll their eyes hearing about it, but I'm, I think they're still hopeful that they that can uh, that can do something. But as you say, the you know, consortium are going to be interested and they are Yeovil Town fans, but they're businessmen at the same time, business people at the same time. And if Yeovil drop into non-league, they are a less attractive prospect from a business point of view. Absolutely. And Brendan, just to come back to you before we, we move on back to, to more footballing matters, I suppose. I, I, and this, again, is something Stephen knows more about than me, but I know that there's a supporters alliance. Uh, is the trust open to kind of joining that and pulling all of that together? Yes, there is a... Uh, an alliance group has been formed by Yeovil Town. This is as a result of the initiative of Supporters Direct and the government, who have stated that all clubs should have this type of forum for supporters groups to go and put their points of view right. to the club and try and uh, initiate change. The alliance group was set up by Yeovil Town at a point when the Glover's Trust were having separate meetings with them. They decided, for whatever reason, that they didn't want to talk to the Glover's Trust singularly anymore, that we would have to join the Alliance Group in order to speak to them again. Uh, we looked at their rules and regulations and we determined that they were not to our liking. Uh, they compromised our independence and we are the only independent 
group who, who speak for Yeovil Town supporters. Mm. So we did not join. Um, the club have had several meetings. They have discussed the rules and regulations. They have amended them. They sent them back to us and said, look, are these rules and regulations now to your liking? So we put them out to our members and our members have come back to us and said, we would now like you to join. We do not believe that our independence is compromised with the present setup. So we are looking forward to going to the first meeting. It should have been this morning, uh, but it was cancelled by the club. Uh, too busy with the Manchester yeah. United, which annoyed me somewhat. Uh, too busy to talk to the fans yeah. about important issues. It would only take an hour of their time. Uh, but there we are. Uh, so we look forward to the, the rearranged meeting. Um, we're going to give it our best shot. Uh, I shall probably be the um, representative of the trust that goes because they choose such peculiar times to have their meetings that only the retired uh, are able to get there. Uh, so it would probably be me. Um, we're not going to go in there and just accept their agenda, um, their setup. We are going to try to influence how things are done there. Um, we think they need to up their game, the Alliance Group. They talk about minor things like um, repairing the television set in the Alex Stock Lounge and vaping around the ground. <laughs> uh, very important to Yeovil fans, of course, yeah. mm. but perhaps not quite as important as ownership, um, sensible ticket pricing for next season to include those who jump from junior glovers at £39 a year season ticket to £200 at the wow. next level. Mm, yeah. We are trying to encourage youngsters to come and watch Yeovil Town. Mm. They're still at school, most of them. Um, there's no change in their financial circumstances, mm. no change in their parents' financial circumstances. So what is that age, Brendan? Where That's is? at 16. That's right. the cut-off point. Yeah. They jump to £200 now. And there's many parents who will say, sorry, son, can't afford it. There's you lots of clubs go. that do like an 18 to 20. Absolutely. You need that mid-range, yeah. really. And we need to be getting the alliance group to talk about these important issues. Mm. We also need to seek to look at Yeovil Town's accounts. Supporters groups should be able to see the accounts. We should know where the Manchester United money's gone from last time yeah. and where the Manchester United money is going to go this time. Important issues for, for Yeovil fans. We also need to upgrade the, and perhaps this isn't the, the right word, but it's the only one I can think of, the quality of the representatives from the club who appear at the Alliance Group. At the moment, we have the business manager, David Mills, who also is the liaison manager. Uh, he comes and uh, does his bit for the club. Um, but we need board representation. So you want more senior people? To Absolutely. The there yeah. should be somebody there who is part of the decision-making group, not someone who takes away the minutes and gives them to John Fry and says, look, this is what they chatted about, and John Fry says, oh, that's nice, and off we go. We need sensible board representation so that they can really relay what the fans are thinking. It's all well and good reading minutes, but you need to hear what the fans are saying and the tone of what the fans are saying. It's got to be a sensible alliance group. We, we will look carefully at it, and if we feel it's not doing what it needs to do, we'll go back to our members and we'll ask them, do you want us to stay? Yeah. It's as simple as that, really. Well, listen, I hope that fans do start getting at least listened to. It sounds like that's the least you guys want very soon. But uh, just to come back on to, I guess, yeah, matters on the pitch again. Um, 
briefly, I want to just go around and ask everyone. We've touched on the real danger of relegation out of the Football League. I want to ask everyone, you know, do you think Yeovil can stay up this year and will they? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Basically? I think just about, personally, because yeah. I think that the league has been, well, the Cups have been very much, uh, they've done really well in, and they may mainly been focusing on the Cups, but what I found in the league, it's been a mixture of uh, unluckiness, um, just ill-discipline, daft decisions, and it's, I think it's it's the makings of uh, a real relegation fight for Yeovil Town, but I think, Maybe these old, uh, maybe these loan, loan signings, and maybe one two may come in to uh, maybe just rejuvenate the club and just do enough to push you over the line. So you think it'll be just enough, yeah, Stephen? Yeah. What's, what's your view on relegation? I think they can stay up. Whether they will do, I think, actually depends on the next few games. And because they they, they are in the middle of yeah. a favourable run of games, they've got teams who will be around them at the end of the season coming up. They've got mm. the likes of. I mean, Grimsby and Cambridge, who are both mid-table teams, who you think at home they'd have a good chance about. Then they've got two massive games, and I think probably the two biggest games of the season, away at Crewe and at home to Barnet in the space of three days. Now, I think the season will depend on Yeovil getting results from those two games. If they win them both, they then put some breathing space between two teams who who I think will be the two teams that will be really fighting with Yeovil for those two spots and to stay out of those two spots, the other one being Morecambe. Um, but if they lose those games or don't win either of them, then I think they're in real trouble. Yeah, and Tom, do you think it's worrying, Stephen mentioning Morecambe there, and obviously we had the game at the weekend against a rival as well. Yeovil have had a tendency to, to drop points against the rivals, or even if they're not losing, they're, they're not winning games where they've dominated and not taken that opportunity to, to move up the league away from them. Yeah, that is a problem, as Stephen sort of alluded to, that their fixtures are split very much into games they should be winning and games that they sort of maybe look at and take what they can from against promotion-chasing teams and the games that they should be winning, in inverted commas, not all the time they've, they've done so. Um, I think it will be a case of, are there two teams worse than them this season? I think, you know, last season we saw Leighton Orient and Hartlepool dropping out and Leighton Orient were gone way, way before that. You know, they were a basket case of a club last season. Um, looking at this season, Barnet at the side, unless John Akindia can start firing, which is always the case for them. Um, but they've just appointed Graham Wesley, which might raise a few eyebrows, particularly Newport County fans recently. Um, Morecambe, yeah, another side, you know, maybe in the same, a similar model to Yeovil Town, you know, traditionally a non-league club who have done well in the Football League, but very limited resources. Can they hang on? I think Forest Green, as we've already seen, have thrown quite a lot of money at it um, and it's starting to show mm. and that could be what does it for them. Chesterfield, similar, they've thrown some money at it. The Jack Lester's come in and has done well and they, you know, they've got a much bigger budget. So it's looking at Morecambe and Barnet, I think, um, I guess crew potentially as well. Hmm. With uh, they're not hugely resourced. Yeah, and you and you know, and crew are, are a big name in football, but so were Leighton Orient. So you know, it can happen. Yeah, um, and but I, I think that could be the case. I think it's looking at teams below them currently and in and around them and thinking, are there two teams there that we can edge ahead of? Hmm. Yeah, and Brendan, from you, just finally on on the relegation chat. Uh, Seven wins in, in 28 matches for Yeovil this season. I'm guessing the, the view on the terraces is it's just not good enough. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's relegation form, yeah. isn't it? And uh, I, I agree with Tom, really. Um, Barnet, having just taken on Wesley, they're definitely going to be relegated. <laughs> uh, so we can forget them, I think. So there's one place for grabs, really. Yeah. Um, and as has been said, Forrest Green have thrown money at it. Ruben Reed's joined them. Yeah. He could make a difference. Decent at this um, level, they it? could climb. Um, it's going to be Yeovil or Morecambe, probably. Yeah. 
Let's hope it is Morecambe. Um, <laughs> moving back to Manchester United matters and get the move back up in the room. Uh, what's the team news, Stephen, before we, we head towards that game on Friday? Are, are we expecting a strong Yeovil team? Obviously, we know, we've already discussed, Khan suspended. But what about um, everyone else? Yeah, I think the two question marks, um, and it's going to be around whether Omar Swimini is fit to play. He missed the game um, against Chesterfield after suffering from dizzy spells. He was due to um, undergo tests. Um, according to Darren Way, earlier this week, he said at the press call yesterday that um, those tests have come back all clear and he did train. So it's going to be between him and Bevis Pagabi for that second central defensive spot. Um, and then the other one is, um, again, Darren said that Rhys Brown is fit and available for the game. So mm. it's going to be whether he throws him straight in to start or whether he's going to put him on the bench and have him come on later on. I suspect he'll put him on the bench because mm. he's been out for the best part of two months now. Mm. So it would be a risk to throw him straight into the starting lineup after an absence like that. Um, and I think generally in terms of the rest of the squad that were fit, they should all be fit, I think, for Saturday. The other injured players, um, like Oscar Goburn and James Bailey and Dan Alfie, are probably a little bit too far away. Particularly Goburn is just a little bit too far away. Bailey and Alfie were no long-term absences. So I think that's where you're looking at in terms of team news. The big one is going to be whether um, whether Omar Swimley comes back in for Bevis Mugabe and who replaces Otis Khan. And that could, I, I suspect, will be one of Connor Smith or Lewis Wing. OK, and looking at Manchester United, Mike, we've mentioned already after your quiz... Performance that you are an Arsenal fan. <laughs> what can Yeovil fans and Manchester United fans alike, I guess, yeah. expect from Alexi Sanchez if he does play it? Um, you'll see someone with quick feet, someone with. Um, he's just deadly in the final third, where I think he's among the best in the world in this position, really. Will um, he cope it you know, on a pitch like Jewish Park? Oh, I'm pretty sure. Cold, rainy night in Yeovil. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure a guy who's, uh, uh, you know, grew up in, in a rough area in Chile can. Can well, do, not, hang on, look. Oh, well, he grew up in a nice <laughs> town in Chile. A nice, a nice. <laughs> <laughs> they said it was nice. going to be mild on Friday, not Chile. Yeah. <laughs> and, sure, and it's been devastated by an earthquake. His hometown, Mike. Well, so let's be a bit. Oh kind gosh, to oh gosh. I apologise. <laughs> I'm going to Orange Avenue here. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well just re-record this a bit. <laughs> no, but I'll take, no, no, I'll, no, take, I'll take your point because yeah, I did yeah. write a piece myself where I said, "Look, yeah, he's yeah. from a humble background." I think that's yeah, yeah. But I mean, so I know. So he's you know really come up through the ranks really. And I just don't think really Hirsch Park would phase him really. He, he won't be daunted. No, no. He, I mean, again, he played at Say United, which is a quite a non league ground, and that didn't really seem to phase him. He yeah. came on for 20 minutes, did a bit of a few tricks here and there, and he enjoyed it. And I'm pretty sure he probably. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you enjoy his experience of uh, Yeovil. I think it's Tom, uh, what, again, I guess slightly stigma Manchester United, but also yes. from Yeovil's point of view, uh, what are we expecting United's team to be like? Because they are running out of trophies they can win this season. You'd think they would want to take FA Cup seriously. At the same time, someone like Jose Mourinho is probably going to be tempted to rest some bigger players given the quality of Yeovil as opposition. Not to, obviously, we're Yeovil fans, but you know, let's be realistic. They're in League Two, Manchester United are second in the Premiership, so they might rest players. And, and the second question I'd put to you is, how do you think Darren Way will approach it? Is he going to sit back and, and I've, I've already bored Stephen with this this week, but Carlos Carvajal for Swansea said this week that he, he stopped Liverpool's Formula One cars. Yeah, stuck it in, in London traffic. traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so do Lovely you think analogy. that's the sort of thing Darren's going to attempt or is Darren just going to try and play Yeovil's normal game and United will pick them off? <laughs> it, it is an interesting you know thing for Darren Way to think about because I think, you know obviously Manchester United, everyone's assuming they're going to beat Yeovil and 
you know, in a certain sense, not even thinking about how the oval will line up because it, you know, thinking of it as an occasion, but the result being a foregone conclusion. Mm. Darren Ray's pretty much played four four two this season. That's been his system. It'd be quite bold to go four four two against it United would, yeah. because you are playing presumably Francois Zoko and Sam Surridge, who are two out and out strikers. Um, Zoko does track back a little bit, but who essentially are there to score goals and aren't going to be men behind the ball in a game where Yeovil are going to and presumably have minimal possession. And not really lump it up to the striker's side, are they? They're not. Know, so it's whether he goes and stuffs the midfield, sticks five in midfield, perhaps, um, leaves one a you know Zoko or Surridge up front and, uh, and hopes to hit them on the break because that's going to be the thing they're going to have to do. They're going mm. to have to hit them on the counter-attack. Manchester United are going to dominate possession. They've got fantastic ball players and... They're going to keep hold of it. And to the second part of your question about what Manchester United would do, I was looking at their formation and their lineup last weekend and thinking, right, so who's playing then and therefore who could come in now? Um, it would be interesting. I think you're right. I think Mourinho is very much you know, focused on trophies and why not? He's won loads of them. Um, and he's already been embarrassed somewhat this season in the League Cup with Bristol City knocking them out. He won't want anything similar. Yeah. He's not yeah. got good memories of coming to the Southwest at the moment. <laughs> Bristol City obviously are a championship club with a lot of resources. They're, they're a tougher prospect, but even so, Manchester United were expected to win that game when they lost. They can't win the League Cup. They can't defend that, that trophy. He'll really want silverware. It looks like Manchester City are going to win the Premier League. The Champions League is still on, but you know... He'll go for that, but much yeah, tougher prospect. Much tougher prospect. Huge teams in the Champions League. The FA Cup remains a really good op- opportunity for him, to, uh, for him to win silverware. And I think while there will be first-team players rested, we are going to see some big, big players playing a huge part. I think Marcus Rashford will play. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, but yeah, I think he I will play from the start. Yeah, I think his pace in behind is, is something that Works would work well against yeah. a lower league team. He's yeah, there. Martial as well. Yeah. I also think Yeovil are familiar with him because he scored last time, and Herrera might play. He scored a worldie, didn't he? he last did, time. He did. <laughs> so I think there's, you know, there's a second string there at Man United that yeah. will. Michael start Carrick, the club so captain. Carrick could play. He's been out with a sort of heart issue. So yeah, but he's set to retire at the end of the season, mm. isn't he? So. Yeah. So it will be interesting if Carrick's available. I think if he was available, he might well play. Yeah, it'd be the sort of game he could yeah. he could dictate. Um, you could see Herrera. You could see Stephen's favourite Scott McTominay in, in the Manchester United midfield. I think he probably will play. Yeah. I think there will be a smattering of younger players. But equally, and... I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Pogba plays because he. He just seems to play all the time. I think Lukaku could play because he seems to play all the time. So I think cool. Pogba yeah. and Lukaku are more to be on the bench. I think we will see Lukaku, but maybe but as a cameo over the last 20 minutes or yeah. so, yeah. either if the game's still Sanchez tight to kill it off. think Sanchez will be a cameo, or... not a starting berth? I think Sanchez may be more likely to start, and I think yeah. the reason for that is that he's obviously new to the Manchester United setup. He's not going to know his teammates all that well. Um, United have got a big league game at Tottenham, I think five days after the... Um, the oval game so I think for, from their United's point of view and from Jose Mourinho's point of view this is almost the perfect setting yeah, to give Sanchez a run out to let him bed in give him a chance to hit the ground running like you say and um, and really just get used to how Manchester United play and before that could, big game at Tottenham could almost be the mark given that the, the, the kind of circus around the Sanchez announcement and that that Twitter video of him playing the piano, the marketing people might be just as keen to see him start this match as, as Mourinho. Yeah. You know, it's going to be lucrative. I would say that respect will be given 
So Darren Way will choose his strongest Yeovil side, yeah. definitely. Yeah. As a mark of respect to yeah. Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows how much respect he shows. Manchester United will show the same respect, I can't Yeah, say. I cannot see Darren uh, yeah, particularly but, resting anyone for the league. <laughs> you might argue you should. United have got to put out a strong squad. I mean, there's going to be 9,000 people at that stadium. I mean, they won't be used to that. Yeah. I mean, Darren has told us that his players haven't been used to playing at places like Port Vale and Wickham Wanderers. So it must work in our favour against Manchester United yeah. to have 9,000 people there yeah. I think my only solid prediction I would make is Sergio Romero will play in goal not David De Gea yeah, but, I, but I could be proved wrong well he played last well. time didn't he David De Gea yeah. three years ago well, mm. yeah and he, and he could well play again because like we say they, they're going to take the FA Cup seriously so actually maybe we don't know anything but <laughs> with that in mind let's make our predictions for the score oh, right. and it will be proved wrong on that as well <laughs> so I will start with you Mike what do you think the score will be when Yeovletown take on Manchester United on Friday January 26th and it's live on BBC One but of course don't forget Somerset Live will have lots of coverage as well I hope it's a nil-nil so we get to have a nice <laughs> way to Old Trafford it would be huge wouldn't it it would be great to go up to Old Trafford what, yeah Mark says nil-nil draw but my head says 2 nil. United. Same score as last time United came with Louis Van Hal. Uh, yeah. Stephen, what do you think? I think Mike's just stolen my prediction. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> you can go for that. You can go. You've already embarrassed I, him in the quiz. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think two 0 is probably about right. I think that you know I can't see Yeovil getting anything out of it from a sort of from sort of a neutral point of view. From a fan point of view, you know, there's always that you know that little bit inside you that dreams that maybe something could happen. And so if you know, as a fan, I'll say. One all and a nice away day replay as well. Yeah. Brendan, what about you? Well, again, as a fan, uh, I'm looking for a four all draw. <laughs> you know, give us something to cheer yeah. on regularly. But my head says at least six nil to United. Well, I have to well, say, if, if you were going to get something, a four all would be more than the sort of result you'd expect based on the fact this season they, they can attack but can't really defend. Uh, what about you, Tom? Yeah, I think that is what that has been the positive for them this season. They have scored goals, so maybe they'll get a goal. You know, and Kiefer Moore came in a whisker last time. Of, of scoring against them, so maybe three-one. I was going to say I was going to say three-one as well. I have to say I, I do think, as, as some other people have said, I think that United are in a better place than they were when when Van Hal came down to Yeovil. So I do think they'll score perhaps one more than last time. So I'll go three-one <laughs> as well. Oh, <laughs> who's going to score the Yeovil goal there? It, well, yeah, Zoko. I, 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 I think Zoko could <laughs> yeah. give either that or of... finally Tom James will hit one of his thirty-yarder free kicks <laughs> in the top corner. I think if Chris Morning plays Zoko, we'll, we'll give him trouble. Let's put. It I that think way. it's going to be a crashette clearance. <laughs> Go all yeah. the straight in, catches the wind, catches wind in here. Right. Well, thank you everyone for coming and, and and for the recording of this podcast, and thank you, of course, for listening to Glover's Talk. As I said at the start, don't forget to go to Audio Boom and iTunes, where you can subscribe if you search for Glover's Talk. And do follow the game if on the BBC, obviously. But if you want all the follow-up and reaction, then Somerset Live at Cody K forward slash Sport is the place to go. Thanks for listening. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Sony Xperia XA2. Voor 19,50 per maand, 300 minuten of sms'jes en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust Week. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op, geld lenen kost geld.